Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pitch. Taylor swings and blasts one to deep left center field. Way back, this one goes toward the bullpen. It is long gone. Oh my, off the facing of the second level above both bullpens. Michael Taylor on loads for his fourth homer of the season. It's 2 1 Twins. That was a majestic shot off the bat of Taylor. And the pitch swung on line drive, right field, base hit. In from third to score. Is Miranda Jeffers to second? will stop there. The Twins now lead 3-1. to one. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 24th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Target Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the Nats, unfortunately, remain without a series sweep of any kind since August 2021, remain without a sweep of a series of at least three games since June 2021, and remain without a sweep of a road series of at least three games since August 2019, if you could believe that. A 3-1 loss at the Minnesota Twins on Sunday afternoon to deny the Nats a three-game sweep. Nats now 7-14. and 14. Uh, The hitting on Sunday afternoon did go right back to uh, not being so good. Uh, just one run, just three hits. The Nats did work four walks. But, you know, Mark, the game time temperature was exactly 40 degrees. I feel like had the temp been, say, 39 degrees, we might have had something here. But the game time temp not being in the 30s perhaps would ultimately doomed the Nats on Sunday afternoon. I think you're 100% right on this, Al. If it's 39 degrees, Victor Robles gets that bunt down gets to first base, everybody's safe, they score, they have a big rally after that, and they win the game four to three. I think it's pure science, uh, guarantees that the one degree difference in temperature made that ball travel only two inches from the plate and made Robles not run off contact, and that changed the whole outcome of the game. We call that analytics in today's game. Uh, <laughs> today's installment of the Nat Chat Podcast is brought to you by Shirtgood and Andrew Weisman. Make sure that you visit shirtgoodhq.com. Great selection of custom Washington, D.C. novelty t-shirts, including my personal favorite, a red t-shirt that reads, we'll always have 2019. Yes, we will. Nobody can ever take that away from the city of Washington, D.C. Well, look, bottom line, you take two out of three at what is a good ball club in the Twins. I don't think the Nats have anything to be ashamed of, but 
yeah, I mean, Sunday afternoon was rough offensively, no doubt. And you referenced what happened in uh, that uh, not-so-epic top of the fifth inning. I guess we might as well go to that because I thought some of Davey Martinez's postgame comments to you guys about what happened in that inning with Mr. Victor Robles were interesting. So Robles ended up having a very eventful series, a lot of things uh, to talk about. You know, we did uh, certainly a good bit of that on the last installment of the podcast. So Robles in the top of the fifth comes up with a man on and he bunts into a 2-6-3 double play for the first two outs of the inning. And yes, I said bunted into a 2-6-3 double play. He bunted on the first pitch of his plate appearance. Here's a bunt try by Robles. It's out in front of the plate. A fair ball. They're going to throw to second there. Out is the call at second. Throw to first. Also out. Robles stopped running. The bunt ended up going like a matter of inches. Okay, the ball like barely left home plate. In fact, it may have even been on home plate when it was retrieved. It was hard to tell. And then there was also this to that. Victor did not run hard to first base. Uh, He apparently thought that the ball might be foul. And so he sort of like lollygagged out of the box, wasn't hustling. And then he kind of sort of started hustling. And the result ended up being a disastrous double play. Now, there is a lot to just this moment. And then there was something that happened later in the inning with Alex Cole, which we can get to. But the decision to once again bunt, the horrendous execution of the bunt, and then Victor not hustling off the bunt. A lot to take in if you're a Nats fan. So much there, Al, and I was thinking of you throughout because I knew this was going to be the A topic of our podcast because we just love these moments, don't we? All right, let's break down a few different things here. Let's start with the decision to bunt. Uh, I asked Davey Martinez about it. I asked Victor Robles about it afterwards. In that situation, you bunt the ball, you got to run. You got to hear the umpire call foul ball. You can't can't assume it's a foul ball. He's got he's just got to run. Look, anybody who has watched this team and has watched Victor Robles, especially when he hits ninth, you knew that was coming. Like you didn't even have to stop and ponder the situation at all. You knew leadoff hitter on, Robles is going to bunt, just like he's a pitcher instead of a position player. So I did ask, like, is there ever any thought to just letting him swing away? And for the record, I know the other day we talked about this and I said that he sometimes gives him the green light to decide himself. This was called, okay? This was Davey giving the signal to Gary DeSarcina, who gives the sign to Victor Robles. Davey basically said, Knowing that he struggles to hit sliders, which this guy was throwing, knowing the situation they're in down one run in the fifth inning, he felt like that was the way to go. I don't entirely agree with that, (laughs) especially when it's CJ Abrams. I'd love to see CJ get at least one pitch to try to steal second. You know, this guy's one of the fastest around. We know the rules are set up now to try to encourage more stolen bases. I would love to at least see him get a shot at that. So that's the decision. We'll get to the execution and the lack of hustle next, but that's the explanation for the decision. I don't love it myself. I know you definitely don't love it. No, I can't stand it. And um, I'm really getting kind of sick of this with Victor Robles, where like every time he comes up, he has to show bunt. You know, you just hit on something, which I think is underrated. It now is as predictable as the sun rising in the east that Victor Robles is going to bunt. I mean, is that not a competitive disadvantage when like everyone knows that the guy's about to bunt? So I think like you almost start with that. And then, of course, there are all of the other things with bunting, which we've talked about before. We don't have to rehash. But, you know, the whole thing of when a guy's on base and you bunt to sacrifice him over, 
that almost always lowers your run expectancy. It doesn't heighten it, it lowers it. And, you know, with Robles, I know that he's Robles, okay? I know that, you know, there are offensive issues with him, but, you know, he is kind of sort of having a decent offensive season. Is on base for the season, even with what happened on Sunday afternoon, is 371. He had himself a nice game on Saturday afternoon with the triple and the RBI double. I hear Davey on the sliders thing. Okay, I'm not going to deny that. But man, you are basically punting away a plate appearance when you bunt like that. And things can go wrong when you bunt. And that's the other thing too. Even if a guy is a good bunter, bunting's not easy. A lot can go wrong. And something did go horribly wrong in that moment. That was such a deflating double play. I mean, all double plays are bad, but they don't all deflate you to the same degree. That was a really deflating double play. Yeah, and I'm just thinking to myself, if you let him swing away, what's the worst thing that can happen? He could hit into a double play, but I think there's a better chance of it happening on a bunt than swinging away, given the speed of those two guys. The amazing thing, Abrams almost got to second base in time, which tells you a lot about how aware he was in the situation. You know, I think there are times late in a game down a run, if he's your number nine hitter and if you have a good leadoff hitter, like I say, okay, you're playing to tie the game, you're playing for the one run. I get that. In this case, in the fifth inning of a 2-1 game with Alex Call on deck and a lineup that we know has struggled so much, are you really in a position to give away outs like that at that point in the game? I don't necessarily think that that makes a whole lot of sense. Now, beyond that, the pitch, by the way, was a slider and it was out of the zone. Just because you get the sign does not mean you actually have to put the first pitch in play. If it's not a strike, you can pull back take it for ball one and make him throw something over the plate. So that was the second part of the equation that was not good. It was a poorly executed bunt. You know, if he gets it down and Abrams takes second and Robles is thrown out at first base, we can argue the merits over the strategy behind it, but at least the execution, you know, would have been fine. We're talking here about strategy that's questionable and then execution that was horrible. And then we haven't even gotten to the second part of that all, which is the lack of hustle on it. And as Davey said, you cannot assume anything. You have to make the umpire make the call that it's a foul ball. Run until you hear otherwise. And Davey was pretty animatedly frustrated with that, you could tell. I wonder if maybe Victor doesn't like being asked to bunt so much and if maybe that was part of him not hustling there just because you know he himself maybe was deflated and he's like, they won't let me swing I've got a bunt in a spot like this. Oh, whatever. It's probably foul. And he's not, you know, thinking the way he should be thinking. You know, we've been putting a lot of these bunts on Victor. Maybe the bulk of them are not on him. Maybe they are being called by Davey. Yeah. So we interviewed Victor after the game. Uh, It didn't get on camera because it was kind of late, a long wait, and the cameraman had to leave. So I'm going to read you the quote because uh, I asked him about that, about taking pride in doing that, but he does get asked to do it a lot. And he said, When I feel like I'm swinging the bat well, I don't like to do it as often. But obviously, that's not my call sometimes. The manager asked for it, so I try to do it when I'm called upon to do it. Obviously, I'm a little embarrassed when things don't go the way we want them to and execute the bunt like I should. Today, that's what happened. And that's Victor Robles through the interpreter, Octavio Martinez. But that kind of hints at what you were just saying, that maybe there are times when he understands that that's what he needs to do. But I think he feels like things are going well right now, and maybe he doesn't like it when he gets that call. Lack of hustle can come from a lot of different places. Some guys are just cocky. Some guys are just lazy. I think this came from a place of anger slash disappointment. And I don't get it. You know, there's a bigger picture aspect to this, too, of 
if you are trying to figure out what you have in Victor Robles, okay, especially with these three stud outfield prospects who are on the rise in the minors, why don't you let them swing a little bit instead of treating them like a pitcher and having them bunt every 30 seconds? Like, let them hit and let's see what it looks like, okay? I mean, I know that Davey's trying to win, but on the other hand, there has to be this constant attention to the bigger picture. There has to be. You can't manage this season without that, given the state of the team. And if you are trying to figure out what Robles is, having him bunt like a pitcher isn't the way to do that. Let him swing and see what happens, especially, again, as we have said, he's actually been okay as a hitter this year. Not great, but okay. And maybe, you know, we can see some more of the okay, and maybe the okay becomes better than okay. I think this is the most we've ever talked about a fifth inning sacrifice bunt attempt. But hey, when you score one run on three hits for the day, and every situation is magnified, and for all the other reasons that we've just outlined, it does become kind of the story of the day, believe it or not. Oh, by the way, later in that uh, not-so-epic top of the fifth inning, Alex Cole, who was your starting right fielder in this game as Lane Thomas got a rare day off, Alex Cole had a two-out single through the left side of the infield, but then he got caught on an attempt to steal a second base for the third out. It was kind of one of those, it looks like a pickoff, it goes down as a caught stealing, but whatever the case, an out made on the base path. So not a banner fifth inning for the Nationals offensively, not a banner game for the Nationals offensively. But let's also say this about Victor Robles, okay? Because this series in so many ways was the good and the bad of Victor Robles. Remember we had that play, the ball that landed between Victor and Lane Thomas. We were like, how did these miscommunications keep happening? I mentioned some of the good from Victor, what he did on Saturday afternoon, two for four with the triple, an RBI double, and a hit by pitch. And then Robles in this game on Sunday afternoon, a tremendous outfield assist. Bottom of the eighth, Runner goes, swinging a drive in the air to center. Robles going back, still back, and he makes the catch near the track. Garcia fooled the runner. Robles trying to throw all the way to first. Smith stretches out and has the throw, and he is out. Robles from the edge of the warning track throws it on the fly to first and doubles Willie Castro off first base to end the inning. Deep fly ball off the bat of ex-Nat Michael A. Taylor. There are those two intersecting once again in this series. That is strange, but so appropriate, it feels like. So Robles makes the catch of this deep fly ball and then unleashes a monster no-hop throw to first baseman Dominic Smith for an inning-ending 8-3 double play. Victor Robles on Sunday afternoon bunted into a 2-6-3 double play and engineered an 8-3 double play. I'd love to know how many times in the history of baseball something like that has happened. But what a throw by Robles. And what a fake by second baseman Luis Garcia, the deke, to fool the runner on first, Willie Castro, who had been attempting to steal second. Castro didn't know where the ball was. He had no idea where the ball was. He actually slid into second base, then was like, where's the ball? Realized where the ball was, had to sprint back to first, and Robles was able to double him up. A tremendous moment. If the outcome of this game is a little different, we are talking about this as the play of the game and maybe the thing that won them the game because there was a lot going on there, as you just described. A great job by Luis Garcia to deke the runner who you said had no idea what was going on. I would have thought he would have heard the crack of the bat (laughs) at least and figured that the ball was hit well. But I don't know. In the moment, maybe you just don't quite realize that. So good on Luis for making it all possible. And then my geometry skills used to be good, but it's been a while. But the ball was hit 381 feet. So Robles catches the ball 381 feet from the plate. First base is closer, obviously, and it's on different angle. But that's got to be almost a 300-foot throw on the fly and on the money. It is a remarkable thing 
there are only a handful of guys who can do that kind of thing. Victor Robles is one of them. We have seen him do that kind of thing before. I think it was during maybe the pandemic year when there was nobody in the stands at uh, Nationals Park, and he did it in, in a tremendous fashion. And then to top it all off, and I think I mentioned this the other day, he's wearing a batting glove on his throwing hand because it's so cold. And he only had a couple other throwing attempts all weekend. And my thought from watching him was, boy, they didn't look so good. They kind of spiked him into the ground a little bit. They weren't awful throws and they didn't really affect anything, but they didn't look like good, clean throws. And then he throws a ball 300 feet on the fly on target while wearing a batting glove on his hand. I mean, that was remarkable. And it is a shame that it didn't have more impact on the outcome of the game because that's a play that deserves to be celebrated and shows you just everything that Victor Robles can do and why he is still here despite all the other problem areas that he's shown over the years. You could write a book about Victor Robles' series. I mean, go back to Friday night when he finally had his first non-bunt single in a week and a half. You know, like just there was so much happening with Robles in this series and Sunday afternoon was the uh, perfect microcosm of that. But yeah, otherwise, not much happening with this Nationals offense on Sunday afternoon. A mere three hits. I mentioned one of them, the Alex Call single. Uh, You also did get a C.J. Abrams hit. He had a leadoff single to right field on a 1-2 pitch in the top of the fifth. And then you had the Nats' lone run-scoring hit of the game. Caber Ruiz had an RBI double. The Nats had a one-run first, a two-out opposite field RBI double to left field. You know, it's funny. You watch that first inning, you say, we're off and running. Here we go again. Nationals, Another first inning in which they score. That's what they do this season. If they're going to score, it's going to be early. But it felt like, hey, maybe this is another game in which the Nats do well offensively. But that uh, ended up being it for the run scoring for the Nats. Well, and that's why I think the maybe the biggest at bat a game, bigger than the Robles bunt and everything that happened in the fifth inning, was Dom Smith's strikeout in the first right after the Cabert Ruiz double. They've got a one nothing lead. They've got runners on second and third with two outs and an opposing pitcher making his not his major league debut, but his season debut in the major leagues. He had just been called up in Bailey Ober and he's thrown a lot of pitches and you kind of have him on the ropes and you have a chance at a big inning and Dominic Smith strikes out on a 2-2 pitch. And that is another thing that's been a really big disappointment so far early in the year. Dominic Smith has not lived up to what they were hoping he would be. Remember, he was hitting second most of the time. It finally got dropped down to the sixth spot. It hasn't really fixed anything yet. He's had a couple moments here or there. He still does not have an extra base hit yet this year. That was a big spot as he came up to bat. I'm thinking to myself, it's top of the first, but this feels like a big moment both for the team and if they can get a three-run lead, but also for Dom Smith. If he can deliver in a spot like that, that could be the spark that gets him going at last and unfortunately turned into another strikeout and an over 3 day for him. Yeah, Dominic Smith, it's been rough, man. It's been really rough. Uh, You mentioned it, no extra base hits. He ended up being the Nats' number six batter throughout this series. I wonder if we're going to start to see him be dropped lower. His OPS now for this regular season is 558. His batting average is the same as his slugging percentage, 233. I mean, that is brutal. And we've talked about this with Dom Smith. Yes, he has had some good seasons, but his recent seasons have not been good. And if you know about Dominic Smith, you know that there's more to him than just what he does on the field. You know, Dominic Smith with the Mets struggled with weight issues. That's not a problem right now, but he dealt with weight issues. He seems to have had some mental health difficulties, and I'm not trying to shame him for that. Okay, there's no shame in that. But, you know, you wonder if the struggles are wearing on him because it's been a rough go of it and things are not getting better for him here. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, let me tell you about our episode sponsor today, ShirtGoodHQ.com. 
If you're listening to this podcast, these shirts are specifically for someone like yourself, those who know way too much about the DMV. The t-shirt options include We'll Always Have 2019 with that unforgettable Houston foul pole, the long drawn-out phrase telling you about this copyrighted broadcast, street signs for Half Street, J Street, U Street, Georgia Avenue, and so much more. Log on to shirtgoodhq.com. That's shirtgoodhq.com. If you didn't catch all that, email natschatpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll point you in the right direction. Get that next shirt you'll wear out for a night with friends in D.C. Shirtgoodhq.com. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now, and there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of, zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000 and you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No balls, two strikes. Duran rocks, kicks, delivers the pitch. Swinging a slow ground ball right side. Second baseman Lopez toward the hole has it. And a short flip to Gallo. And the game is over. A 1-2-3 inning for John Duran to close it out for the Minnesota Twins. And the Nationals unable to make it a sweep of this series. But they'll head to New York with a series win on the road. Well, dare I say this. Patrick Corbin on Sunday afternoon gave the Nationals his best outing so far this season. Now, I know the bar is low, and that's not saying a ton, but Patrick Corbin, brace yourself for this, technically 
gave the Nats a quality start on Sunday afternoon. Three runs in six innings, which has always been a really bad standard for a quality start, but hey, it is what it is. But three runs in six innings. He did give up seven hits, two solo homers, and five singles. He issued two walks, but he also had six strikeouts, and he also threw a lot of strikes. 96 pitches, 63 strikes versus 33 balls. Bottom of the fourth, he did give up two runs on two solo homers, a leadoff homer by Jorge Polanco and a two-out homer by Michael A. Taylor on a bomb to center field, 444 feet per stat cast. And then Corbin in the bottom of the fifth, allowed a run on a walk and two singles. You know, he did not get off to a good start to this season. We know what the deal has been with Corbin these last few seasons, but you look at his last two outings now, the 7-6 win over the Cleveland Guardians at Nationals Park the previous Sunday afternoon. Four runs, yes, but only two earned in six innings. And then he did what he did here in this loss at the Twins on Sunday afternoon, three runs in six innings. I don't want to overstate what he was. And again, the bar is low, but you know, as Patrick Corbin starts go now, I thought this actually was pretty good for him. Yeah. I think what he has for the most part done, aside from maybe his opening day start in which he you know, threw a ton of pitches and was pulled early, is he's giving them a chance. And at this stage of his career and where they are as a franchise, I think that's all they're really asking of him now. If he has a great start here or there, wonderful, but they're not counting on that. But you give six innings and three runs, and yes, that's a 450 ERA. You know how many people would be dancing in the streets if Patrick Corbin could finish the season with a 450 ERA? That would be a huge success for him at this stage. So I think they're very pleased with it. Are there nits to pick? Sure. Both the home runs came on meatballs right over the plate, a uh, changeup that he did not fool Jorge Polanco at all, and then the fastball to Michael A. Taylor, who, what, 444 feet. We have seen that from Michael A. Taylor before. It doesn't happen all the time, but when he does get a hold of one, he can hit them with some real authority. And that's it. I mean, Corbin was fine otherwise. Like you said, he threw strikes, gave one other run, a bit of a two-out rally. He also, once again, wasn't helped a whole lot by his defense for the yet another error with him on the mound. The Nationals of a team have committed 15 errors this year. Eight of them have been in Patrick Corbin starts. That's weird. I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but it is definitely something that's been notable and something that was talked about last year. So all things considered, he did fine. I think in the bigger picture, things are fine with him. Now, let's see. There's going to be a blow-up start at some point that could skew everything. You'd still like to see a really quality start someday where he goes seven innings and gives up two runs or less, but he's giving them a chance. And at this stage of the game, that's as much as you can ask from him. What you can't have is what you had last summer, where twice in three starts, he allowed six runs and got just two outs. You can't have that. That's non-functional. That's humiliating. It's embarrassing. That wrecks your bullpen. You can't have that. You can live with what he's doing right now. And again, bar is low. It's almost sad that this is how we're sort of judging Patrick Corbin, but you know, it is what it is. This is where we are with this guy. I mean, he's not the worst starting pitcher in the Nats rotation, and that in and of itself is a victory. Like the guy who I think his job is soon going to be on the line here potentially is Chad Cool, not Patrick Corbin. And put aside the contract for a moment, like he's pitching okay enough to where you could sort of function with it. And, you know, if you do the compare and contrast between Corbin and Cool, Corbin is giving you some innings. I think that's one of the real issues with Cool. Sky high ERA, yes, but also he's not consuming many innings. And that's going to be a problem here as the Nats embark on these stretches in which there aren't any scheduled off days like what the Nats are about to get into here. But Corbin at least is giving you some length, at least by 2023 standards. And, you know, he's been okay these last few starts. Yeah, and that's among the reasons that they have stuck with him through all this because they know that he's healthy and he is going to take the ball every fifth day 
and he may give up runs, but he's going to at least give you five and hopefully six innings, aside from the blowups, like you said, last year that he, he suffered and has not had that happen yet. So there is value in that, maybe not $30 million a year, whatever it is they're paying him at this point, but there is some value in that, and he's at least showing signs of something that, that suggests he can still contribute to this team in a way that he had not the last couple of years. Another good game for the Nationals bullpen on Sunday afternoon. Two relievers combined for two scoreless innings. Erasmo Ramirez, scoreless bottom of the seventh, despite giving up a couple of singles. Anthony Bonda, scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. You take a step back, Nats relievers in this series combined to allow three runs, two earned in 10 and a third innings. The bullpen, for now, is holding up. But like we said, now comes, uh, yes, an off day on Monday, and then a really rough stretch for the Nats in terms of a lack of off days. So the Nats will have a three-game series at the New York Mets Tuesday through Thursday. That series will mark the start of two weeks plus, in fact, without an off day. April 25th through May 10th, the Nats do not have a scheduled off day. They then get an off day on Thursday, May 11th. And then how about this? The Nats don't have another scheduled off day until May 22nd. This is such a weird schedule the Nats have. And I know there's a lot that goes into the putting together of the MLB regular season schedule. But, you know, you think about this Nats schedule. A, all of the American League opponents so far. That has been bizarre. How many American League teams the Nats have faced so far. And then the structure of these off days where the Nats recently have had a bunch of them. I would argue almost like too many of them. You haven't needed all these off days. And now this like sadistic stretch from late April well into May in which you're going to have one off day over multiple weeks, that is really going to test this Nats bullpen. The genesis of this, I think, is the two-game series with the Orioles, which creates an off day on both the front end and the back end. And this is how MLB has decided to handle the interleague geographic rival. Yes, everybody's playing everybody now for the first time, but they still do have your designated interleague rival in which you play two games at home and two games on the road. Well, the problem with that is that it creates these off days. You're going to play a Tuesday-Wednesday series and have off days before and after. No, you're right. They did not need that. You know, Sure, it's nice to have one on Monday before they go to New York, but I would bet they'd much rather have one after the road trip before they start a homestand or in between a seven-game homestand and a six-game West Coast trip that's coming up after that. So it is frustrating, I think, for a lot of them, but this is what it is, and they just have to deal with it. And the one thing I'll say, okay, they're finally going to face the Mets. They face the Braves in the opening series, no other division teams yet. They're going to face the Mets, and yeah, the Mets are good, and this could get ugly, but if there's ever a time to catch the Mets, now is the time. Max Scherzer would have started Tuesday night. He's not going to because he's suspended. We don't know who they're going to get there yet. And the other starts are Kodai Senga, the Japanese sensation, and we'll see how he looks in that game. And then Joey Lucchese uh, fill in as well. So they're not exactly getting the Mets at their best right now. may still be a really difficult challenge for the Nationals, but they at least are sending who to date have been their three best pitchers, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Trevor Williams. So I'll be interested to see, having now gone through this whole stretch against American League teams in which they've been very competitive, even if they haven't won a ton of games, now how do they look against a team that on paper should be far superior to them? Yeah. And then after that comes a series against maybe slash probably the surprise team of baseball, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have done quite well so far, shockingly, but a three-game series against the Pirates next weekend at Nationals Park. Yeah. I mean, that series against the Mets is going to be something. Mets are doing well, but they have been hit hard by injury, no doubt. And like you think about the Mets, 
The Nats as a team have 10 home runs. Pete Alonso on his own has 10 home runs. So, you know, that's kind of a quirky thing there. But, you know, all things considered, a good job by the Nats in this series at the Twins. And, you know, as we have noted, even the losses are like respectable losses here. I mean, it's been a while since the Nats like got ripped in a game. So hopefully that does continue. And it will be good to see Gray, Gore, and Williams going one, two, three at the Mets Tuesday through Thursday. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. A thank you to our presenting sponsor for this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, Shirtgood and Andrew Weissman. Make sure that you visit shirtgoodhq.com. Great selection of custom DC novelty t-shirts. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Breaking ball hit high in the air to right field. Rodriguez turns, watches, and this one's gone to the Tiki Terrace. Tostado with a grand slam off Henner, and Harrisburg has taken the lead 6-4 in the top of the ninth. Tostado knew it when he hit it. He flipped away the bat and was yelling, pounding his chest, and looking at the first base dugout.